Hello everyone, a brilliant, brilliant day and good afternoon to you. I am Mila Dichon, your host on Culture Science on Rethink Culture Wednesday. I have a brilliant guest with me today. I have John Dunia with me. Welcome, John. Thank you, Mila. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. So I'm really excited. So John Dunia is the shame doctor mm -hmm. and and we will be speaking on the topic of shame so before we start john and i know i've had you on my twitter chats before on hardship chat but i've explored explore on the topic of shame and we we kind of like took people through a journey of questions but today's going to be free flow mm -hmm. and just for people to get to know you Who's John? What got you into becoming shame doctor? Well, I think a lot of um, people go into a, to a particular direction because of what happens in their personal lives. And that's the same thing with me. In, um, in 2011, my 22-year marriage came to a, a screeching halt, and I had no clue why. I mean, it was seemingly smooth for all that time, and then it just hit a wall. So I, I, I sought out a, a therapist and I was going to him and look, there's got to be a problem. What is it? Tell me what I need to do. What books do I need to read? How do I need to think? How do I need to act? I'm really good at following directions. And little did I realize that was precisely the problem. I was looking for somebody else to give me the answers. When we all know in reality, the answers are found within. And that's the hard part. And my thinking was based that way because a lot of what I was thinking was I wasn't worthy enough for the answer. There's something wrong with me personally. I just, God wasn't able to reveal the answers, God, universe, whatever, whatever you, you choose to call it. And I needed to find a source from something else. And I sought out a therapist and I realized that it wasn't what others said about me, but it was the fact that I believed what people were saying. I mean, I, I felt here I was, just had just turned 50, and relatively, I don't want to say successful, but people could look at me and they go, well, what, what do you have to be ashamed about? And believe me, I've, I've reached some really, really low depths once I finally understood what it was. And during the therapy, things were going so well, my therapist suggested that, that I write a book. And I wanted to share my experience with people about shame. And uh, that writing that book really inspired me to get into becoming a full-time shame doctor. Obviously, that, what that means is to help people heal from shame. And that writing that book was, was sort of what the whole culmination of got me moving forward. That's such an impactful journey, an inspiring journey, right? And it's amazing that you took your experience and transferred that into the form of a book. Now, let's talk a little bit about your book. What does what kind of themes do you cover in your book? And as you were writing this book, was it healing? And what other themes did you discover just under the umbrella of shame? Um. Writing the book was was healing in the sense that it sort of categorized, it sort of it sort of um, gave a, gave an outline of what the whole process was. A lot of times, you know, one of the one of the best things about going to a to a therapist is being able to verbalize it because it it forces you to to make sense of everything to not just have it running around in your head and all these thoughts lost. So when I, when I wrote the book, it, it just sort of confirmed everything. And when I would think, Hey, there was healing. Well, why was there healing? And all that, all that um, was, was covered in the book. The, the title of the book is shame on me, healing a life of shame-based thinking. And, and the crux of the matter is shame-based thinking. And, and so what, what I did was I, I started with shame. What is it, number one? Because that's the first thing I ask my clients. What is shame? And we'll get to that answer uh, 
in, in a minute, but I sort of, what is it? What causes it? And, and all the, all the, all the many forms that go along with it. And then the steps on what do we do to recognize it and how do we heal it? Uh, because again, that's the important thing. Once we, we recognize these things, we recognize any kind of fault, whether it's shame or whatever it is. Now, how do we move forward and how do we heal it? And my experience from that book was, was also understanding that there's um, the emotional healing aspect really, really seems to be lacking in the whole mental health discussion. And, you know, people talk about healing and how important it is. But when do you really hear good advice on how do you heal? And the book covers that in terms of shame. And since the book is writ has written, actually, emotional healing has become a, a large part of what I do. Did I cover that okay? Yes, yes, beautiful. I have got more questions for you, but I want to take some time to thank all the viewers who are tuning in right now. So we have got about four viewers from different platforms viewing. Thank you for being here. And if you'd like to say hi, please type in and say, you know, which area are you tuning in from? I'm coming live from the DC area. And John, which area are you coming live from? Las Vegas. Las Vegas, LA. So just say a hi in the comments below and also um, share your own experience in the comments below if you have experienced shame. So again, thank you for being here. So John, I want to bring back to the conversation. You mentioned about, you know, you took a whole journey of writing what shame is, discovering what it is uh, and kind of like dissecting it. So I want to start with what is shame? Can you give us like a definition or explanation? Shame. Certainly. Certainly. For me, a lot of times, a little bit of clarity, a little bit of distinction helps understand it. And a lot of times when I start, again, when I start with clients, I ask people to define it. And most people, when they're defining the word shame, they use the word guilt. And technically, those are two different meanings. Now, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of expanding my 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 uh, my definition here, but I think it's important to get the distinction between guilt and shame, and uh, and the reason we we feel that they're the same thing is because we experience them physiologically. When when we have feelings of guilt or shame, however it is, we we sweat, our heart beats, we we get butterflies, whatever those experiences are, they we 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 feel them with both emotions, and that's why we tend to categorize them together. And they're very, very close to the line. So uh, I'm going to, what I do is I'll explain sort of the difference between the two. And then I have a, 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 an example that'll help clarify it. Guilt is a feeling that we get when we've made a bad decision or a wrong choice. You know what? I shouldn't have done that. That was terrible. Um, I got I to gotta remember better next time. Shame is the feeling we get when we feel there's something wrong well, with us, and that's what made the bad choice. You know why you chose that? Because you're dumb, you're stupid, you're too short, you're whatever excuse it is. And, and again, the, the explanation is if we were to have a discussion, Mila, and I was to get really upset with you and angry and say things that were undeserved, but my emotions got me going, when we were all done, I say to myself, you know what, John? Mila didn't deserve that. And you see how bad she feels? You see how bad it made you feel? The, the guilt helps almost become sort of a, 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 a social conscience for, for change. And what I got to, what, what, I, what I'll think is, remember, John, the next time you, you start to yell at somebody, remember how you made Mila feel, remember how you made you feel? You, got, you need to change that behavior. And that's what, that's what guilt can help us with. Where shame would say, you know what, John? You know why you yelled at her? Because you're in a jerk. You're an idiot. You can't help it. You get angry and there's nothing that's going to stop it. You're just fill in the blank, stupid, whatever the case is. And shame brings that, that feeling back to us that there's something wrong with us initially. And it starts at a really young age. And, and again, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But that's the main difference between guilt and shame is that shame comes back to us um, 
Uh, did I lose you? All right. Now, that's that's such a great point that you made. And I want to highlight something that you mentioned, the social conscience, right? Can you expand a little bit about what social conscience means? Well, in I, I, I hope I didn't select the wrong word, but basically it's it the guilt aspect of it is helping us change behavior. Uh-huh. When we see we've done something wrong, and I'm not talking about something wrong done to us so much. I mean, when, when we've done something, and that, that guilt aspect, you know, it's like, oh, I made a mistake. And people say, well, there are no such thing as mistakes. There's only, you know, learning situation. And again, right. take take that for however ever you want. I, I would never say there, there's no such thing as a mistake, but if it helps you change your behavior and become a more positive, productive person, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with thinking that way. The wrong part is when you put that on somebody else and try to make them think they're wrong for thinking that way, now you you have shameful behavior about your idea of guilt and you're put it on, putting it on, on somebody else. But that's that's the, the, the big point. And again, both guilt and shame, um, they, they, it's, it's a complicated subject because we can feel shame in different ways. Like right now, I can feel shame uh, for being with all this, with all this racial inequity. I can, I can feel shame for my race. I can feel shame for being an American in, in some situations. And I don't, I don't want people to get upset with me. I'm just trying to explain the different ways that we can process it. For, for our meeting, I'm talking about it more on an individual basis, what we can do to develop ourselves as humans and become aware of our issues and, and make them stronger. And that's Right. That's a very good point that you just made because shame exists in multiple ways, right? You highlighted such a great, great point, like from the self, the, from the perspective of self, right? The lens of self as opposed to from a lens of if someone else is shaming you or if someone else is enabling that shaming you in public that those are two different things so just for the sake of this conversation let's take away shame from a lens of the self yes and and i want to touch on what causes it you touched on one facet of it um the programming but i want to get deeper into it what causes it I'm glad you. I'm glad you went there. And in fact, I was hoping you were going to go there because that's actually the, the 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 best way to start. For some people, it can start in an early age, and believe it or not, it can start before you even learn to speak. Mm-hmm. We, when when we're born, we are virtually helpless. We can breathe, uh, and and eat, and then and excrete. That's about the only three things that we can do, and we're dependent on somebody for to feed us, to clean us, to keep us, you know, in a healthy environment. And that is the beginning of a relationship. And we start to trust people. And I mean, we, we have to, and I don't know, I, I can't argue. It seems to me that it's innate, but I'm not a doctor. Uh, you know, I don't understand the physiology aspect of things. So I don't, I don't understand, but it seems to me that it would be innate. We start to trust people. And then that then what happens is those people will say things and not always on purpose to make us feel bad about who we are. And and this is one of my my best examples. Let's say someone's a single mother and they got two or three kids and they got to go somewhere. And now, you know, they have a couple of them in the diaper stage and they change the diapers and they get ready to pack everybody in the car. And all of a sudden, oh, who I just changed your diaper. So you pick up the child. I, you know what? I went through all this work, and and the child does something that's only natural. They, right. they can't. Help it. It's time to excrete. Let me get rid of it. And now they can sense that the parent is angry. They may not even be able to understand what they're saying, but they can sense it. And if it happens a couple of times, they think, "Oh my goodness! I this is a natural function, and I'm being made to feel bad about it." And and that that's sort of a generic reason, but you, we can see. How when we try to do things that and people make us feel bad about it, we start to say, okay, there must be something wrong with me. That's why they're getting angry. You know, if if you're a child and you're, I'm going to say, I don't say clumsy, but you're, maybe it's a, it's a dinner table and you read something and you knock over a glass of water. Oh my goodness, you're so clumsy. 
And then you start, you, you do it, and, and it, you almost develop this reputation in your family that you're the clumsy one. And okay, now later on, well, I can't do these kind of skillful things because I'm clumsy. You believe these lies that are told to you. And again, they're not, you know, your your family might be joking with you, but they don't, and if you keep silent, you don't know how they don't know how much it's hurting you. And shame, again, if what I what I left off earlier and I need to say now, the the a, a good way to describe shame is the negative things that we've learned to come to believe about who we were and are. And all of these things that we believe, they become factual in, in, a, in, in like a fact. And we, remember, once things are fact, we can't change them. The sun rises in the east. It doesn't, it doesn't change. Well, if I'm clumsy or if I'm stupid or if I can't figure these things out and I learn to believe it, then I'm stuck in this area where I can't grow because I can't change it. I can't grow a sixth finger. Right. There's and and shame. What it is? We in the, in some sense we have to sort of reprogram our mind, or like what I say, we need to change the way we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the process that I typically use to walk through with my clients. That's very interesting that you highlighted quite a number of points. Right? How shame is kind of like programmed. Um, even from the experiences that we have, the, the kind of like image that we form of ourselves, right? In social science, they call it the looking looking glass mirror, looking glass mirror, looking self. I'm getting it wrong, but <laughs> I studied this like four years ago. But that's the term that they use. You know how other people see us, how other people frame us, the narratives of others. Let it be positive, negative, or even imposing shame. We adopt it, and that aligns with what you're saying. Right. So it seems like it becomes programmed, right? When someone experiences that shame at a nuanced level, my question is: Does it? Does does it impact? how we assimilate shame based on our EQ to people who have got higher mental grit combat shame much at much higher levels? That's my question. You know, that, that, that's an excellent question. When I, when, when this whole thing came to light to me, I, I call it my, my personal independence day, February 22nd, uh, 2013. That's when I realized, Oh my goodness, it's, the whole idea of how I think about myself, and it became so clear to me. And I, I got on the, I got on the, uh, the zeal train. Right, everybody's problem is the same thing because it was so open to me. Everybody had to have that same issue. And then I, when I started to think that I saw somebody, just people don't react that way. And what I actually have found that the people who don't react to shame as drastically as someone like me are the ones who have sort of a nonchalant aspect of their personality, sort of a case or us or us. It is what it is. And, and I, I, uh, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine that, that I grew up with and he's, he's that same kind of, that has that same kind of, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll work through it. I'll get over it. And I've spoken to other people who feel like, you know, shame's never really been an issue. I, my personal opinion is that if you're able to communicate with somebody, then there very well may be some some little aspect of shame. Now, it might be so small and so insignificant that it's not an issue. But as, as I said, the re- whole aspect of relationship and trust, and when we get that mistrust, especially when it's, when it's uh, pointed directly at us and how we are inferior, it, it creates that shame aspect. But People, in my opinion, it's the people who sort of have a more of the, like I say, the case of Rasserah. Well, it's going to be they actually experience the, the the trauma less. And if you don't mind, Mila, I want to I want to get back to one other thing, one other aspect of shame, because yeah. this is really important. Shame is one of the few emotions that creates a wide range of emotions. When, it, when we think of shame, we think of people who have feelings of unworthiness, I'm not good enough, all these things that fall short. Well, shame also creates emotions that go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Like, I'm going to just, just cover it in one word with arrogance. 
And when you keep going, it's, it's extreme narcissism. And let me explain why, because I've, I've, I've been thinking about this for my next hour. I mean, I've, I've written about confidence versus arrogance. You know, people always say pride cometh before a fall. Well, if you're proud of your children or if you're proud of somebody, can you have so much pride in that that it's going to be destructive? I mean, the answer is yes. And, I, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I've never seen anybody have issues because they're proud of their son. Now, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the arrogance aspect of it. The arrogance, the difference between arrogance and pride, in my opinion, again, a little slight distinction is that, is that pride is, is, is confidence. And you don't need to get on a stage. You don't need to shout, I'm proud of myself or proud of what I've done. Is it, is it nice? Sure, it's nice to be validated. But you don't have to have that. It doesn't need a bullhorn. Arrogance has to have it. Because in some sense, people are bragging about themselves, speaking loudly because they really don't want you to know inside the, the, the low self-esteem that they have. I, you know, and, and this happens a lot coming up if you have a father who, or a, I should say a, a parental figure, who never gives you the credit. You know, that was good, son, but it wasn't quite good. You could have done better. So you're constantly trying to 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 improve. Now your father thinks or your parent thinks that I'm inspiring him to do better, but in reality you're not. It's it's not loving. It's not compassion. It's not validation. And they continue and and now they're they're in this in this in this process that they keep working harder, working harder because they want to please their dad or their parent. Again, I'm sorry, but in in the same sense, arrogance is I don't. I don't really want people to know how little or how low I feel about myself. So I'm going to brag about how good I do. Every opportunity I get, well, you see, I did this. I accomplished that. I, I got this going. And it becomes loud. It becomes obsessive. And extreme arrogance br- reaches into the narcissism. And again, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no psychologist. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I can't, say what for sure that what I'm saying is is a fact, but it makes sense that the different when you become arrogant and it becomes so great when the 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 the, the dividing line between narcissism and arrogance is you've lost that even idea that you don't even have self-confident um, self-confidence. You you refuse to look at it and you don't see it because the narcissism in a lot of points really deals from shame. And the way they're dealing with it is, nope, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to consider it. It's not even there. In fact, I'm going to tell everybody how great I am. And they, and they believe their own lies about themselves. That's, that's the, that's where arrogance becomes narcissism. And, And that's why you have shame that goes from, from total unworthiness to complete arrogance and the whole spectrum in between. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. And you said that you're no psychologist, but you did do the research. You did write the book. So it's interesting to see how shame from a lens of the self, right? From a lens of the self, um, with the lies that we have been told, with whatever that we're experiencing, can go from one spectrum, one end of the spectrum to shame all the way to the other spectrum, which is narcissism. And it's interesting. how that shifts so i'm always curious about you know when we experience shame and the cause of it we i'm always curious about the solutions how do we overcome shame how do we heal but i want to before we get into the topic i want to learn about how did you heal when you were experiencing shame healing is uh, is an, it's an interesting subject and one that I love. I, I look just as much as shame because for me, my belief is that everybody, anyone, can heal from any sort of trauma. It's 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 not easy, and it's it's it it doesn't make it whole. It's just like again, a lot of times when it comes to healing, I I use the physical aspect of our bodies compared to the emotional. You know, you get you get a small cut on your skin, it scabs, it heals, eventually it goes away. Well. On the other end, you can you can experience an injury that's an amputation, right? It heals, but the hand doesn't grow back. 
However, you've also seen people overcome those injuries and become stronger because of them. Now, I, you know, they're, I'm not, I'm not going to say that they're glad it happened, but they, they, they worked through it. What I'm trying to say is that emotional wounds have that same kind of thing. With healing, for me, from the shame aspect, it, it is, was the whole idea that I understood all of these negative things that I believed about myself. Because you can do two things. I can blame everybody. I can blame my my teachers, my parents, my religious leaders. I can blame them for making me feel that way. Or I can realize that, you know what, I have I had no choice but to understand them because these were people I trusted. These are people that I took every word that they said. And you can see my personality is tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to think. And I swallowed everything hook, line, and sinker. And I must be a bad person. So the first aspect from healing is that to realize that I thought these things about myself and what I needed to do was forgive myself for ever believing all those misspoken truths. I had to say, you know what, John, I understand why you did it and I forgive you for, for believing it. I have a story that I relate in my book and if you don't mind, I'd like to relate here now. Sure. It, it's, it's nothing dramatic, but um, in, in my book, I, I talk about three aspects of, of shame, where they, where they come from a lot. Sometimes it's abuse and, and I'm talking about extreme, you know, physical, sexual as, as a child. And there's also sexual identity. That's another huge one. And then the third one is religious abuse, which is kind of like the first one, because religion is such a tool that I mean I, I I'm not I am not downplaying religion I'm not saying anybody people should not do it but it's often used as 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 a tool and when I grew up I was part of an organization where the the founder I literally believed when he spoke it was that God inspired every word that it might as well have been God speaking when he spoke and I was I was uh, 13 years old. At a, at a, it was a football camp, and it was with my school. And he was the principal, so he was there. And one day after a after our workout, we were in, we were all done um, taking showers and everything. And you know, it, it was up in the mountains, and so there's nice a lot of humidity. I don't know why I started singing the song "Matchmaker, Matchmaker, Make Me a Match," and some guy pulled out a little of those Ohio blue tip matches and he handed it to me. So. I grabbed it. I knelt down. The floor was wet. I rubbed the head, I rubbed the head on the floor. Thought I it wasn't going to work. I struck it. It lit. I walked over to the faucet, turned on the water, extinguished the match, threw it in the trash. Thought nothing of it. Well, we in this camp we had a de daily devotional period. The following day, the the founder of the organization that I, I, I'm going to I call him the Oracle of God in my book because I literally believed he was the Oracle of God. He reamed me a new one. What are you trying to do? Burn down the forest? Going on and on. And I'm with all, all my teammates who are there, my, my coaches, and I'm just feeling like, like a jerk. Here's God telling me that I'm doing this horrible thing. So I have to believe it, right? I know the choice. God's telling me what a terrible person I am. So I'm confused. What could I have done differently? And I couldn't stand up and say, but wait a minute. Um, I couldn't defend myself. How can you defend yourself in front of God? And all these things were just terrible. In fact, that incident, I really felt like changed my, my life in certain ways. And I won't get into it because it's really not part of the story. But that that sort of haunted me for years. What, what you know, what could I have done differently? And I was explaining the story to my to my therapist. And you can see now I'm a little bit animated. He goes, wow, John, you see how angry you get? I said, oh, no, I'm sorry. Goes, oh, no, anger, anger is good as long as you don't stay there. And again, I, <clears throat> I don't want to um, get off on a tangent. But... This whole thing had me really, really confused. I mean, I got to the point where I wish he would have come back from the dead so I could punch him in the nose. That's how angry I was. But then when I realized that, you know what, John, you were 13 years old at the time and you you had no choice. Yes, I did. I could have said, you know what, you're full of baloney. That wasn't true. And I could have walked off. But I wasn't because I felt like if I did, okay, that's like a ticket to go to straight to hell. And I didn't want that. So my step, the step was for me, it was not to forgive the oracle for what he said, because I believe like if he were alive today, he'd say, I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't believe it. 
I forgave myself for believing what he told me. Mm. When I look at that story, and I'm t- even now, and I'm not saying this has to happen, but I get a physical release in the, in the place where my butterflies are in my stomach. I literally get a physical release every time I tell that story because I understand that I had no choice and I had to forgive me first. I haven't forgiven him, but it doesn't really matter because if if my forgiveness is, it wouldn't wouldn't change his actions. And I don't today. I don't want to. I don't wish to punch him in the nose. It, it's not making me a bitter person because he did those things. Uh, I wish he wouldn't have. And I'm and he's done. He did. I'm sure he did similar things to other people that to confuse them and make them feel shame. But I no longer use that as an excuse. I'm. What what happens is you know why am I I'm an alcoholic because the oracle told me that I was a horrible person. That's where people get stuck because they take the shame that they have and they blame it on others when the solution really is self-forgiveness. Forgive yourself for believing that. Now, again, that's really easy for me to say. What Where my strength is when people come to see me is how I can work that personal issue out so that they can see where the self-forgiveness is. Because you just can't say, well, I forgive myself. Well, why? There's, there's no there's no power in that. There's no release in, in that. The key is to find out why. What in your thinking caused that? And that's really where my strength is in getting to that point. Like I say, I, getting to the heart of the matter is my slogan. And that's that's what I what I what I try to do. And to help people understand that changing the way they think about themselves is really the best thing that you can do for your own personal and, and emotional healing. Uh, that is packed, John. So I absolutely mm-hmm. love that you mentioned, um, you know, shame and blame. Uh, I have this question, right, just looking at from a various lens perspective, mm-hmm. right? Uh, shame sometimes can be amplified in different cultures, in different platforms. The, as you mentioned, culture of religion, the culture of um, different countries, right? Shame, like some people are in countries of shame, like even religion. You're shamed for wearing certain types of clothes. You're shamed for not showing up to Sunday mosque. You're shamed for not fasting. You know, there's different types of shame. And... And I want to take one step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when people are shamed, especially when students are shamed or children are shamed when they are young, and that causes trauma, that causes trauma. And what's the difference between blaming and and speaking their truth? Because sometimes when they speak their truth, they are speaking from this person abused me when I was young and it caused me a lot of shame. So as they are speaking truth, it's not that they are blaming, but they're telling a story of this is what has happened and this is the person who caused me to feel that way. So is speaking someone's truth the same as blaming? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Because speaking, speaking the truth and is, is getting, getting things out, getting it as you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you may need to rethink what you believe the truth is mm-hmm. and that's why it takes a, a you know either a trained psychologist you know, a life coach a shame doctor to help you understand that but um speak no speaking your truth is not wrong but let's say you're in one of these cultures that is going to shame you for speaking your truth and you speak the truth and what is your reward uh more physical punishment mm-hmm. and and those are those are difficult to overcome. I mean, if I speak my truth, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get more pain. And I don't want to, I don't want to experience that. So I'm going to keep it to myself. What, whatever reason are there, again, I don't like the, I never like the pigeonhole thing because everybody's experience is is different. Right. There are similar things that some people may see in my story that work for them. And other people might say, man, John, if I were in your shoes, I would have told that guy to go, you know, whatever and why and walked off I, right. I i couldn't have done that based on my personal experience right. so, I mean, your, your your truth is is never is never 
is never necessarily a bad thing unless it's going to cause you more more grief. And I would never recommend that to anybody. Again, I'm not asking you to not show integrity, but you know, unless it's going to do some good, if you're willing to die for what you believe in, then by all means do it. Right. That, and some people have. That's a great explanation. I want to take some time to go to the comments that we're getting. We have a question from Abby K. Abby, aka Diversity and Inclusion. Abby asked, what is the purpose of shame? I don't I don't know if there's a particular purpose or if it just if it just happened to evolve in the in the human psyche. Um, if if I had to do it personally, you know, I could say, well, the purpose of shame in my life was to for me to understand it and help others work through it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's any any purpose on a personal level. Again, if we look at and again, we're not talking about the macro level on in terms of a, of a society or a nation. There there may work there may be some change with it, but on the personal level, I wouldn't say it, it's a it's a purpose. I'd say it's it's just there. It's like it, it's it's air. It's it's sunlight. It, it just happens to be more than, more than anything. It's interesting. Um, but let's, I want to explore this from an amplified version, right? Let's move away from the self into uh, society, into work and schools, okay. right? It's not necessarily the purpose of shame, but shame is there imposed by others, right? Like, for example, at the workplace, so many people are shamed from by their managers or by their leaders or even by peers. Right, they're shamed because it, it can be for numerous number of reasons. They can be shamed because they are standing out, right? It, it kind of like challenges someone's ego, right? When it challenges someone's ego, how can you get back to that other person? How can you get back to the other person? And most of the time, people who, who operate from a perspective of egocentrism, they find tools, they kind of like weaponize certain aspects of 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 how can we bring down someone else down so mm-hmm. they use shame to kind of like oppress kind of like diminish other people and i've seen this in my line of work but yes. i do not know that if that pertains to like the personal lens that you have been talking about but in cases like workplace or schools or even in society you know when people want to gain a sense of their power back want to control other people shame is being used to kind of like demonize and dehumanize and diminish someone's worth um we also have another question from abby who asks other options to utilize rather than shame what's your take on it john and again, that question sounds to me like it's being used as a tool, right? I'm using shame as a tool. And the, the, the answer to that is interesting because if somebody's using shame as a tool, let's say somebody, you know what? You shouldn't be drinking that in the middle of this thing. Yeah, that's all, you know, you, and, and, and that kind of, that kind of a, a thing, it's, it's more for power. But you have, to, you have to accept that. You could say, you know what, John? I'm drinking because I, I, I don't want to cough. You can have good reasons. But if what I say to you has no bearing or you're like, what's your problem? It's not shame. I A, a lot of times, I mean, it, it is used at the pulpit. I have to admit, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. That's how it was used with me. And it's a it's a tremendous power. And when and when people look at you as the leader and and that's what you're doing, that, you know, to me, that that is the one of the worst things that you could do is make somebody feel bad about who they are. What, what could they use in, in, um, in instead of shame? (laughs) Truth, honesty, compassion. The problem is most people who use shame are at a point and they don't want to lose their power, the money, the prestige, whatever it gives them. That's why they got to use it. They got to make you feel stupid. They got to make you feel down. They got to make you feel weak so that you won't expose their selfish desires. And, and, you know, people, again, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
that's not always, you know, a good strategy. Why don't we do it better? It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Right. What's that means? People can keep in their in their uh, lowly places and still and still keep their and their power. What, you know, that's the problem. What can people use in in instead of it? Uh, like I say, compassion, understanding, listening to people. That's real strength because it's a bully that sits there and, and, and throws everything back to you and keeps you dominant. You know, they might think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm exerting myself. I'm sure going to show you. And no, that's a lack of self of, of really under, of self-understanding, because if you really have confidence in yourself, you're going to want. How can I be better? How can I help other people be better? Maybe somebody could actually do this job better than I can. You know, which is something we don't want because that's going to lower. Gonna, wow. Wonder why he's not my boss anymore. You know, all these things that shame is going to come back to the destructive ego aspect of our lives. Hope that answers <laughs> Well, Abby, I hope that answered your question. So I want to move along to continue with the healing part, right? How do we heal from shame? Um, how does the emotional healing aspect look like? Yeah. And again, <clears throat> this, this question can be almost as varied as the person who asks it. Mm. It's easy for me to sit here and say um, self-forgiveness. And I, I am very careful and very slow when I work with people one-on-one -on -one because I just can't bring this whole idea in the first session. I had this conversation with somebody that I, that I knew 20 years ago. I, won't, I, I try to keep everything confident, so I don't want to even mention it whether it's a boy or a girl. And I was talking about self-forgiveness. And this person was abused. Why do I need to forgive myself? I wasn't the one who abused me, which makes all the sense in the world, right? And then I asked the person this question. Did you ever one time feel like you deserve that abuse? And I'm telling you, almost 100% of the time when I ask that question, people say, yeah, I did. That's what needs to be forgiven. The fact that you thought there was something wrong with you, and that's why you're being abused. The fact that you thought God didn't love you, and that's why you were being punished. The fact that for something, there was something short in your life, and that's why you were getting all this horrible, these horrible actions. That's what you got to look at to forgive. And it's not, it's not always that easy. It's not, I mean, oh, yeah, I see it. It's all clear now. Oh, no. Again, if, if, you're, if your injury is similar to an amputation, that's, that's deep. That's harsh. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort on both your part as well as the person working you through that. And, and, and again, people do thrive after, after an amputation. You, you've seen the stories. These people who get burns on 90% of their skin and they come back and they're amazing temperament. They've overcome it. Does everybody do that level? No, they don't. But the point is, if we let that abuse hold us in the place where we are, that's what we need to try to change. That's where we got to come back and, and say, look, I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to blame the situation. Yeah, it's horrible. It's rotten. It should have never happened. But if we stay stuck there, that's what gets us connected to, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever, anything that's going to distract us from the horrible condition where we currently find ourselves. That's beautifully said. And I love that, you know, in order to heal, we have to tap deeper, deeper into ourselves. And again, for those who are tuning in right now, we are speaking about shame from a personal lens. And John Dutney over here is the shame doctor um, who is walking who's walking us through a journey of how does shame look like from a personal lens. So John, my last question is, I want to touch on one facet of it, right? We, you touched on how people with ego hold power, right? In, in the brink of of having that concern of, oh, I'm going to lose power. So they impose shame onto other people. In the spirit of solutions, in the spirit of rethinking culture, 
how can we urge our leaders to rethink the whole narrative of shame? How can we urge them to, to lead from the heart and not from a lens of shame? Wow. I'd be a millionaire if I had that answer. <laughs> I One of the things, if you don't mind me mentioning, Mila, is every Sunday at 8 um, a.m. I post articles about uh, personal development, emotional healing. And I, I had an article last Sunday that sort of covered on this. And, um, the, you know, the answer is how do you get people to change on an individual level? Because we, we, you know, in our current climate, we've had not only with the COVID-19, now with all these, these protests, mm-hmm. and we've seen people react in different ways. You know, law and order, or we, or we kneel with the people. And, and, and it, it, it's going to depend on the situation. But the only way somebody is going to lead without shame or without using shame is because they want the good, the, the betterment of the people whom they represent. They want to listen. They want to feel compassion. The, the moment that that a leader says, it's got to be my way or you're out, that is somebody who doesn't care mm-hmm. about anything other than his or her own desires and what she wants. Right. We, we want leaders who see have a vision of what's, what's the right thing to do. But the problem is, and, and, and it's, it's actually, there's actually a physi- physiological answer. Our, our brain, when, when we perceive power, and we think that we have power, it, it, you know, it, our brain can actually submit a, 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 a chemical that changes us and, and, and we lose empathy. That's why when you have a, a friend who, a coworker, who's you know all cool and all of a sudden he becomes your boss and he turns into a, a jerk, like whatever happened. It's because there's literally a chemical change in his brain where he where that person loses empathy. And and I and for our leaders not to use shame, they're gonna have to come at it from the aspect of okay, what is good and what is and and how can I listen to others and, and see and what can we do? Not every solution is going to be perfect, and not everybody's going to be happy. But we got to try to work out what's best for the, the general people over whom I'm uh, presiding. Very great insight. I want to take some take some time to acknowledge uh, Roxana Softier, um, and she mentioned she agrees with you. You're right. Healing is complex, and it's up to individual to want to explore healing with curiosity. She also says our nervous system is on display right now. Right. that we are experiencing there's so much of shame that goes on that is going on that is part of the narrative right now right and and also as she says why are people afraid of being corrected well how often do you make a mistake or does somebody point out a mistake and you go oh yeah i was wrong yes <laughs> most people don't like to be pointed out that they were wrong. We want to, we want to know we're right. We want to, we want to feel that we're right. And now I know that, that for people who genuinely want to improve, they do want to know these things, but you still don't go, Oh man, you know what? I was wrong in my thinking. I was wrong in what I did. You, it's, it's, that's not a normal reaction for most of us, but when you come at it from a, a perspective of compassion, and understanding, then you can be grateful when somebody points these things out to you. But when you want you when you re- want to refuse to think that anything you've done is ever wrong, you've never made a mistake. No matter when the law tells you you made a mistake, I didn't make a mistake. I was perfect. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You 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 won't you you can't get the compassion and the empathy. It's just it's it's just not there. Um, you know, can people change? They can, but it's going to be hard. It's interesting. It goes back to your point that you made earlier when we started the show. You said that shame on the other spectrum can immediately turn into narcissism. Narcissism. Right. Narcissism, right? And um, that's such an interesting take on it. And I know that we are running out of time. Mm. Um, any last words, John, in how we can 
absolutely rethink culture and shift the narrative and the behavior of shame into enablement. Wow, you know, my what one of the things that I typically stress is, for personal development or anything is looking within ourselves and see what we can do to change things. My cat just joined us here, sorry. <laughs> but but that's that's where it starts. It starts with self-awareness, becoming and looking at things and, and you know, listening to others and becoming vulnerable and understanding that you know we are perfect human beings. I think everybody will admit to that one fact that we're not perfect. But yet when it comes to something, somebody pointing us, pointing something out in us, how do we react that way? They may be right, they may not be right, but we have to approach it with openness and understanding and the willingness to change. Yes, we want to be firm sometimes in our beliefs and our feelings and our you know, we, we want to be firm, but we also gotta understand if there's something wrong with the way we think, we need to be open. To, the, to, to changing the way we, we feel about it. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your brilliant heart and your brilliant oh, mind today. Um, for those who are tuning in, who just joined in, don't forget <laughs> to follow John on Twitter and on LinkedIn, John Dunia. And of course, follow me on LinkedIn, Please. Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I go live every Wednesday and Friday. Every Wednesday, I do Rethink Culture. And every Friday, it's a new show. Um, we have got one last <laughs> last comment from Roxana. Healing is exploring your self-awareness and with others as well. Beautiful. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, John, for being here. We will be back next week. And stay safe. Stay well, everyone. All right.